0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Game Talk Radio. I, as always, am your host, Greg. How's everyone doing today? I hope you're doing very well. I'm doing pretty good. I I really have no complaints. Uh, Overall, I think uh, everything's going pretty well. I almost didn't have a a, a podcast today. I was almost going to have to crunch one in either tonight or tomorrow. Tomorrow, Tonight or tomorrow night, because I work tomorrow. Uh, Because uh, I, I, I need some more racks for the store. And... Uh, so what I've been doing is there's been a few GameStop stores that have been closing. And so I thought to myself, oh, well let's, let's hit them up. And, uh, one of the stores closing was actually in Madison on state street and they had a ton of racks and stuff. So I talked to the manager and I was like, well, I can come down Tuesday morning and whatever. Cause the store actually closed Sunday just a couple days ago. Uh, and then unfortunately he reached out to me. I mean, fortunately for the podcast and for you all, uh, he reached out to me on Sunday, or saturday sent me or gave me a call and just said hey just so you know we hired a scrap company to take everything out and they're going to clean it all out by sunday night so if you don't take if you don't come before sunday night and i think it was like saturday afternoon like i can't i couldn't couldn't get there couldn't do it so unfortunately i missed out on those racks which kind of sucks because i do need racks like kind of badly because we're about to do a new project at the store where i need racks so um so it's going to be very very interesting um but, uh, I, I just have to talk to my local game subs too. Cause I think, cause I think a bunch of them have extra racks left over or just talk to the district manager and be like, do you have any stores that have an abundance of racks? You're just going to throw away or like, I'd like to, you know, I'll buy them or whatever. So, uh, but yeah, so I almost, I almost didn't get to do the podcast today because I was almost going to be in, uh, in Madison today, which honestly I would have just been hitting Madison right now. So I figured about an hour, hour and a half to load up racks and another two hours home, I would have been probably done in the afternoon, but Uh, And then, uh, if all goes according to plan, I should be recording Episode 2 of Metal Gear Salad tonight, which is going to focus on Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, which is one of the best in the series. It's got like that retro game feel, but it's got innovations of new games. Uh, and, And an interesting factoid, a lot of people in Japan actually thought... Metal Gear Solid initially was a remake of Metal Gear 2 because they, they, they had such similar concepts in them, like the idea of the solid on radar and actually getting down and crawling around, crawling through vents. You fight a Hind D. Like all that sort of stuff exists in Metal Gear 2, which is a game that came out the same year as Final Fantasy 3 and Mega Man 3, You know, which, which is really odd to think that that game came out at that quality when games were struggling to, uh, to get to that level. And I'll always wonder why they never ported metal gear Two solid snake to the super Nintendo. It certainly had the ability to run it and it, you know, graphical style, like it would have been fine. I'm surprised. I'm just surprised they never did because that, that game would have continued the mythos. I think, in fact, if I had any ability or skill whatsoever to do so, I would consider porting it to super Nintendo as a fun project, but I have no idea how to do that. Maybe I'll find somebody on the internet to do it and just pay them (laughs) and then only make one copy for myself. (laughs) But I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, But with that being said, we don't have a ton of stories to talk about today. Um, There's a couple couple little ones. And then I wanted to talk about, since I didn't have a whole lot of stories, I do want to talk about my most anticipated games of the year. So we're going to do my most anticipated games of 2020. So we're going to go over that. And then we're going to talk about three different little story, uh, two different stories. Sorry. Well, the first one is the story that came out about an armed robber that stole one hundred and thirty thousand dollars worth of GameStop merchandise. This story is actually old, but he was recently sentenced in the case. So we're going to follow up to that. And then another interesting article which talked about a, a federal court decided that being muted in a video game does not violate civil rights. So I thought that was an interesting take. So we're going to talk a little about that, too, because sometimes you see the headlines and you're like. Huh. But when you read the articles there's actually some interesting stuff there, you know. So the headlines are supposed to draw you in, but you're supposed to read the article. I think as a society lately we've gotten too fixated on just reading the headlines and I think in the long run that's always going to come bite you in the butt. So um and then of course I have my pickup pile of the week and I have my game of the week set aside and yeah Yeah, it should be be pretty good. We're going to stick with the PS1, um, the PS1 theme. And uh, yeah, yeah, it should be pretty good. So with that being said, let's get this show on the road. So first up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about this latest story that's been kind of making the rounds and and sparking some like funny memes as always. But it's a GameStop story about an armed robber that stole over $130,000 worth of GameStop merchandise. So that's the headline. Um, However, this happened actually quite a while ago. This is more of a follow up to that. So for instance, uh, the story. Uh, Frederick Lopez Jr., who's 28, has been sentenced to 10 years in prison after being found guilty of robbing four GameStop stores at gunpoint in 2018. So let's just stop right there. So I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, he stole 130000 GameStop will give you $7 for it. Like, I understand, uh, like, those memes are funny and all, but in this case, this is quite serious. Like, a, a, a robber went to a store, pointed a gun at people, threatened their lives, and robbed them. So let's, you know, yes, I know it's funny, and that's kind of the problem with the headline is the headline doesn't address, like, the seriousness, I don't think, of, of this. Um, but, you know, I, I know it's fun to pick on GameStop for legit reasons, but you know, this is not one of them. And this is actually pretty serious. So the article goes on to say, the news was announced today in a press release from the US Attorney's Office, and says Lopez's arrest came as a result of a joint investigation by both the local police department and the Bureau of ATF, alcohol, tobacco, firearms and explosives. He pled guilty last year to quote, one count of interference with commerce by robbery and one count of brandishing a firearm in furtherance of a crime of violence, end quote. And in addition to the prison sentence, he has been ordered to pay $132,300 in restitution. So I don't know if that necessarily means that's all the product that was stolen. That might be legal fees, court fees, all that sort of stuff too. So the headline's a little like misleading in that regard. Um... He would walk into stores at night, brandish a gun, and, quote, order GameStop employees to load game consoles and video games into store bags. Across the four robberies in Linwood, Roland Heights, West Covina, and Brea, California, he stole, quote, $131,000 in merchandise and $1,300 in cash. So I'm, okay, so apparently it was $130,000 in merchandise. The money and merch... Of which there must have been a lot to add up to 130,000 is one thing, but the length of prison sentence had more to do with the harm caused to the GameStop employees than it did the value of the stolen goods. Quote, the serious nature of Lopez's offenses can hardly be overstated. Prosecutors write in the release Armed robbers such as these, where firearms are brandished at victims, also leave lasting substantial stress and trauma that victims remember for years, some for their entire lives. End quote. So, uh, I mean, it's a good story overall because the the story is not just that they obviously caught the guy, they busted the guy. He he's going to jail for ten years. Hopefully, is reformed by our prison system. Fingers crossed. Not too hopeful for something like that. Um, but that's a good story. Obviously, he's caught. But the reason this story kind of touched base with me a little bit was when I when I was at GameStop, I I worked there from roughly 2000 to 2011. I guess would be about right. There was a time somewhere in the mid 2000s to late 2000, maybe 2007, 2008, maybe it was earlier than that, 2005, maybe even. We were in the same district as Milwaukee. So there was a total at that time. I There was only one store in Green Bay. It was the mall store, Bay Park Mall. And there was that store. I think there were two stores in Appleton and then, you know, a, a Milwaukee, and then I think Wausau was even included in our district. So like there was... There weren't a ton of stores so we were lumped all together in with the Milwaukee district and there was a string of robberies in Milwaukee that were awful worse than this arguably um I know personally a friend of mine who was a manager at the time he got you know pistol whipped like he you know he was there and and I don't know exactly what happened because we didn't talk a lot about it he didn't seem to want to but he he always had a little bit of a sharper tongue so I wonder if he said something uh, sarcastically or something. And, and he got hit in the face with a, with the handle of a pistol, you know, like the guy, and like he, we went to a meeting and he had a huge black eye and it was, it was awful. And there was a time they, cause he, I don't remember the number of stores. I would say, I think they robbed maybe five or six or something. And they didn't get caught until after that last one, obviously, but, so it was a weird time after it happened a few times, like we were, we were in meetings where managers were talking about having police and guards in the store after five o'clock at night from five until nine when they closed. I mean, that's crazy talk, you know, I mean, that's really, really crazy to think about that. These are people who work in a game store. And I'm going to be honest, GameStop employees don't make a ton of money. Managers make, you know, I think fair salaries for what they do. But like, you know, most of the people working third keys and part timers are not making a ton of money, and and they're not the like they're the 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 worst victims of this because that's something they're going to carry with them all the time. There's a certain trauma that goes along with that, not being able. I, I would assume most people that got robbed at night will really have a hard time working at the store anymore. First of all, maybe getting transferred to a different store, but besides that, maybe also wouldn't want to work at night. Wouldn't want to work by themselves. I mean, that's all realistic. And so that's why this story kind of hit home with me. Uh, And I'm lucky I've never had that situation. You know, I've never, I've never ever had a situation this horrible. And I know that most of the managers in Milwaukee didn't either, but a few did. And the ones that had to go through this, I can only imagine that they still think of it today and that it stays with them. And so GameStop is... You know, again, I'm a little disappointed with the reactions to this story because I understand when you see this on Twitter and you see the headline, the first thing you do is you say, Oh, $130,000 was stolen from GameStop. Well, uh, or, or what they're saying is it's $10 in product, yada, yada, yada. You know, and that's just like if you read the headline, I guess I can understand you doing that, but like you have to read these articles and understand that there's a like, this is really scary stuff. And, you know, I think sometimes as a society, we get a little. I think we get a little too quick to, what do I want to say? Like, we get a little too quick to to make everything a joke, you know? And and I, I guess I wish that we could sometimes be able to look at something. And I know some people deal with it that way. Some people deal with trauma in a joking way. But it would be nice if not everything was a meme and a joke right away. Like, read the article, read how serious this is, and say something like, you know, it, you know, uh, along the lines of, you know, I'm glad everyone's okay and that no one got hurt physically and that hopefully that any sort of mental, you know, suffering they went through, hopefully they can get help and hopefully GameStop offers, you know, some sort of counseling or something like that. And and, and as far as policy goes, I, I remember you know, again, the company gets a lot of flack, but I do remember that, uh, they were very good about that. They were really accommodating to the employees saying that, well, if you need, how much time do you need off? You know, we'll give you that time. Do you want to transfer to a different store? Uh, I think some employees did end up leaving because of it. And I want to say most just transferred stores or, you know, they just didn't want to work by themselves or something like that. And so they did, the company did come together and, and, uh, and and work on that issue and so uh, you know so again you know it's kind of like and I know there were some people and I know this is a much smaller story but like there you know you didn't see that yesterday or Sunday I should say like when all the news about Kobe Bryant came out you didn't really see I didn't see a ton of jokes I didn't see a bunch of funny memes talking about you know helicopter crashes or anything like that which I'm very proud that I didn't you know and so this is kind of the same thing obviously it's smaller but it's still a very serious deal like it's not like you know, someone ran in with a luchador mask, grabbed a bunch of stuff and ran off, you know, in their tidy whities. You know, this is someone walked in, you know, held them at gunpoint and demanded them to, you know, put the stuff in there. And I know, put the stuff in bags. And I know that obviously this is, it's good to protect yourself against lawsuits, but, you know, they always made it very clear that if somebody comes in or someone steals something or there's a robbery, like just give them what they want. Don't fight it. Don't try to trick them. Don't try to say things like, I don't know the combination of the safe, anything they want, just give it to them because that money doesn't equal at all the, the loss of life if they were to lose you as an employee. And to be fair, I'm, I'm a realist. The lawsuit the company would incur if they had a policy saying, don't give a robber money, and then the robber kills you because he didn't give you the money, your family sues them, it's going to be a lot more money they're going to lose there than they would lose if a robber robbed the store. So I'm a realist. I understand that. But I'm just saying it still felt nice. And the middle managers, right, not the corporate people, but the middle managers had more of the human element attached to it. And 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 so I think that they as a company, I thought they handled it very well. And so it is you know i i don't know it it it's a sad story but it's a good ending where it's over but it is disappointing that it happened now arguably this happens a lot because games and video video games are quite liquid And I don't think people realize that, you know, there's a reason why video games have become one of the most stolen things. And unfortunately, it's probably because stores one like GameStop, but also stores like mine exist because it's really easy to unload stuff for cash. Like if you take if you if you're able to steal a PS4 and a bunch of games, you could take that to a bunch of different stores and sell it well especially games and accessories, controllers and such, because there's no real serialization there of the product coming in systems there are, you know, so that can be tracked. But really, it's like if you stole a stack of games from somebody, no one can guarantee that those games were the ones that were stolen from you. Like there's no distinguishing marks on unless you yourself do it. Um, and, And so unfortunately, video games have become a like a conduit for theft, you know, because these they're easy to steal. They're small oftentimes. And then they're easy to flip and quick to flip. And a lot of stores like this popped up. And so we do everything we can within our power to prevent that. You know, we're always keeping an eye out for shady trades, trades we think are weird. I mean, it, you know, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, like, well, what do you consider a shady trade-in? Well, there's some surefire signs. Like, for instance, someone will come in with, like, a stack of eight PS4 games. Now, most of the time, this is stolen from a store, not stolen from someone else. But they'll come in with a stack of games, and they all still feel like the plastic just came off them. Almost, like, oily, you know? That's the first kind of sign. And a lot of the times, the criminals, they, they think they're being slick, right? And they want to make the game look used. So you flip over the disc, and there's just a bunch of handprints all over like fingerprints, because it's used, you know, you put fingerprints all over it. See, I used it. It's got fingerprints on it. And so you see that, and it's very deliberate. Or sometimes they'll actually scratch the disc, which is funny because Blu-rays and such. So Xbox One, PS4, Wii U, like we don't take those games if they have a lot of scratches on them because, well, scratches affect Blu-rays a lot differently than they affect regular DVDs, being that they're hard laminated and whatnot. So it's uh very, very interesting that there are certain patterns that seemingly all criminals follow. And so for the most part, I would say arguably 75% of criminals are very bad at it and they're desperate and that's why they're criminals. So thankfully it's easy to spot them. Um, but then there's sometimes where like all the warning signs are checked. Like I had a lady call us and she wanted to sell two switch systems and she comes in and, and this is going to sound kind of terrible, but she didn't look to be, you know, in a hard place, she didn't look to be like maybe on drugs, or she didn't look, like. You you can sometimes people come in to sell you stuff and they're they're very twitchy, and you you know you you know there wasn't like this at all. It was more like she was upset she had to sell it. You're like okay, and then you know I did the whole rigmarole. I'm like hey, you know, did you have the original purchase receipt? Because yeah, it's just so new, you know, and it's such a new system. And I mean, she had some sealed games, which if you have sealed games, why don't you just return them to the store? They'll give you a full refund but she had sealed games and then a few open games. And I looked at, you know, I turned the systems on every game was installed that had been opened. And, you know, she had a story about how her kids were bad and, and, um, that's why they sold them. And I'm like, okay. And, and I follow it all up, you know, and I go through everything and she has the receipts of when she bought the systems. I'm like, okay. So we did our due diligence. We check it all out. And then like three months later, she comes in with two of the switch lights and she's like, well, I try it again. And my kids just, they're not behaving I'm like, wait a minute. What, what is, You know, and now one trick I learned a long time ago from uh, when I worked at GameStop was what what one person was doing, because that was kind of our rule, right? Like if you're not sure about a trade, just ask to see the original purchase receipt. And if they don't have that, just say, yeah, I'm sorry. It's like it's a new policy when you trade something in so new or in such new condition. We just have to see the original receipt. I'm sorry. It's a corporate thing, blah, 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 blah. And so one time I did that at GameStop because this person had a brand new PS2, brand, brand new PS2 unopened i'm like oh here we go i'll do i'll say the purchase receipt thing they'll say they don't have it because they stole it from somewhere and then we just let them go and it's done and he goes okay sure and he pulls out this shopco receipt which if you're not local to wisconsin shopco is like our it's like a walmart or a target they're now closed but that's what they were like and yeah there. sure enough there's a receipt says bought earlier that day at shopco I'm like well that kind of doesn't make sense. Like, just take it back to Shopco. and he goes, "Well, ShopCo only give me store credit, and I need I need cash." And I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, I'll buy it." And I think at the time, PS2s were going for like one forty nine or something. So I think we were paying at GameStop. I think we were paying like eighty bucks or seventy bucks or something for it. And uh, and the person was like, "Okay, I'll take whatever." I'm like, "Okay, I mean, that's it's weird, but it happens." And so this happened about two times, and then the third time, I said, "Okay, something's got to be going on." So I reached out to Shopco and I said, this is so strange. I said, cause the shop was actually an anchor store in the Bay park mall at the time. So like I, I was, I could have just walked down there and talked to their LP person. And I said, I, this is going to sound really weird. I said, but do you know anything about this situation? I said, I've got this guy coming in with PS2 systems. He's selling them for cash. He's got a receipt from you saying he bought it. And I mean, he, he doesn't, I don't know why he doesn't return it to you. And he keeps claiming that you're going to give him only store credit back. So I took the receipt down there and I showed it to the LP guy at Shopco. And he basically looks at it and goes, okay, so here's the thing. He used store credit to buy it. Like, okay. So he's using store credit because that might've happened too. He might've used a gift card who he was never going to use a Shopco gift card. So he, buy, he uses it to buy a bunch of game stuff, sells it to us, takes the hit and leaves possible again, not the best way to handle that, but possible. And so I talked to the guy and he goes, no, he goes, I can tell you exactly what's happening. What they're doing is they're stealing product off the shelf at Shopco then they take to return it at the return desk without a receipt. Since they don't have a receipt, Shopco does the return only for store credit. He was then taking the store credit, buying a PlayStation 2 system, then bringing the PlayStation 2 system to me at GameStop, and then we were buying it, and that's how he was getting his cash. And I heard all that, and all I could think to myself was, for that much work, just get a real job. <laughs> My God, that's like the most work. I've ever seen anyone do for like just a measly payoff, you know, like you could, you could work somewhere and get paid a real money and not have to worry about getting caught and busted (laughs) for way less work than that. But, you know, again, criminals, not always super smart. So it is what it is. So anyway, that was just a little bit of a, of a, how we detect people with shady trades. But that was the idea is we try to do what we can to stop it because we know how, how liquid video games are, like how easily they are to buy and sell. And so we try to do our part, you know. But there's only so much we can do, too, you know. And and I mean, you know, if I even get a whiff or an inkling that something might be stolen, we're out. We don't take it. And unfortunately, that's not how all stores operate. Um, I I've known store owners in the past. They're not store owners anymore, thankfully. Uh, but store owners in the past that if they thought something was stolen or if they were pretty sure it was stolen, they would completely lowball the person, knowing that. One, if it got confiscated, they wouldn't lose as much, but two, knowing that if someone stole it, they'd probably just take anything for it. And if they were the last place that would take it, like if all of us other stores had cut them off, they would take a brand new sealed $60 game and sell it to them for ten bucks. As opposed to the thirty or forty that we would have paid because we wouldn't take it anyway. And so that unfortunately fostered more of that you know, bad behavior. Um but thankfully that person doesn't run a store anymore and that store's not around anymore, and you know, so but but it's weird how, you know, like, you know, we have a list. We have a no trades list. It's got to be 50 to 60 people long now. And a lot of it is people over the years who probably never came back. And it is amazing how when you shut them down, they just don't come back. And and so many of them are just, they just deal with it, you know. Like, they'll come in and, and sometimes there's an initial fight. Like, well, why can't you take this? I'm like, well, it, the game just came out today. um, And you don't have a receipt for it. And unfortunately, that's our policy, you know that we don't take games like this. And then instantly they'll be like, well, all right, I'll just take it somewhere else. Like, okay, cool, man. No, I appreciate it. Sorry, we couldn't take it. You know, and you're super apologetic. Like, like I said, you know, I I tweet about this all the time. I tweet this out every now and then. Like, it's not a joke, but I spend half my day apologizing for stuff that's not my fault. It's fine. Sometimes apologizing just like smooths everything over. So you just apologize. Just apologize for whatever you want. Apologize for everything. Who cares? And uh, (laughs) so that is sort of, you know, how we prevent theft but it is something that is a problem and it happens a lot and so i hope that everyone who was involved in these robberies is okay i'm glad the person who did the robberies is in jail and i hope even that person can find some sort of help you know or 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 break out of that become a a, you know a functioning member of society once again and um and again you know whenever you see story about gamestop i know it's really easy to jump on but maybe in the future just read the article and say hey this is a good thing it's not that serious because if it wasn't gamestop i think that's I think if it had been like a $130,000 worth of games were stolen from, like, I don't know, even Walmart, would that be a story? It, it's almost like this was a story because it was GameStop. It, it almost kind of feels that way. But in any case, I hope that everyone's okay. And I hope that, uh, you know, I'm glad that justice has been served. And I hope even that person too can, you know, can come out of this a better person. All right, so... Next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about, uh, this article in Kotaku I saw, which was kind of mind boggling at first because I needed to understand like the context, but here was the headline being muted in a video game does not violate civil rights. A federal court has declared. So like at first you read this headline, you go, so if I mute you, you're claiming that I'm violating your, your civil rights. Like what, you know, but that's not what happens. So let's actually get to the meat and potatoes, right? That's what we do here. We dig in, we find out what's going on. So, uh, this take, uh, let's see if, uh, here's how the article begins. This is, sorry, this is Kotaku. This is Nathan Grayson. This was yesterday at five o'clock. If you or a loved one has been muted in a video game, you may not be entitled to financial compensation. Exposure to muting might finally wake you up to the idea that there are consequences for your actions. Please do not wait. Do not call now. And that was a joke on those old kind of infomercials, um, Uh, He says this joke is brought to you in part by a federal court in Pennsylvania, which recently ruled against RuneScape streamer Amro El who sued developer Jagex after the company muted him in the game last year, taking away his ability to communicate with other players in a terse, largely handwritten lawsuit. Ellen Sari, who said he'd invested over 2,000 hours in the game, claimed that Jagex muting him constituted violation of due process, discrimination, and an attack on his quote-unquote free speech and quote-unquote human rights. So really quickly, uh, it's not that this person muted another player and that player is suing or anything like that. What he's saying is that the company that owns the game, the game he paid for, the company that owns that game, muted him permanently because I'm going to assume was based on saying horrible things or being just horrible. Like, you don't get muted permanently if you don't say some pretty nasty stuff to people. Um, Initially, the U.S. Eastern District Judge Mark Kearney dismissed the case in July. And here's exactly what I always say about free speech, so please listen up to this. In 2019, Kearney wrote, quote, these allegations cannot state a plausible constitutional claim because the First Amendment and its constitutional free speech guarantees restrict." government actors, not private entities End quote, thank you. Please understand this. If, if you've never heard me say this before, you, you have to have if you've heard this before, but if not, free speech does not mean freedom from consequences. The First Amendment protects you from government prosecution over saying what you want to say, period. It does not entitle my right to free speech does not mean I can go into Walmart and start saying anything I want screaming at the top of my lungs and they can't do anything because it's my free speech. They cannot do that. Walmart as an entity, as a company can kick me out, can call the police on me for being disruptive. They can do all that stuff and they're within their rights. Period. (laughs) Like that, that's how the first amendment works. So please stop hiding behind it. Like your first amendment is being infringed upon if you're not allowed to be nasty, you know? in a private setting. Or if you work for a company, like let's say when I was working at GameStop all those years ago, let's say I just started, you know, just trash talking the company on social media and then they fire me. I can't say, well, it's my free speech. I can say whatever I want. It's not because it's not the government uh, persecuting you over this. It is your, the company, the private company that you work for is allowed to do that. Arguably it's their right (laughs) a free speech to terminate you but anyway so enough of the like misunderstanding of the first amendment so this that's what the judge writes totally fine explanation should be over but it's not so it goes on to say so ellen sorry appealed that also didn't work out for him earlier this month the united states court of appeals for the third circuit tossed the suit taking aim at both ellen sorry's first amendment claims and the idea that he'd been discriminated against quote compared to all the other players who were not muted end quote Goes on to say, Title II prohibits discrimination on the grounds of race, color, religion, or national origin, wrote the Court of Appeals. Even generously construing El complaint to rise a claim of public accommodations discrimination and assuming that El can bring such a claim in this context, at no point either in the district court or in the appeal of court has El alleged losing access to the online game due to discrimination based on any grounds protected by Title II. So he's basically saying that even if they were to stretch that and say that was possible, they're not making that claim because he still has access to the game. The Eastern District Court uh, has heard from El Ansari a lot recently. He has filed 10 suits in the past year and a half, according to PenLive, which first reported on the Jagex suit. In November of last year, the Court of Appeals similarly did away with a suit in which El Ansari claimed he'd been scammed by Tinder truly who among us have not had a crappy date and taken to the United States court of appeals. That's the joke. Uh, now perhaps there is something more uh, worth interrogating when it comes, To online platforms and increasingly government-like role they can occupy. The University of California Irvine School or Law Specials uh, Reporter on Freedom of Opinion and Expression, David Kay, wrote in his 2019 book *Speech Police: The Global Struggle Struggle to Govern the Internet* that "quote unquote" today's platform behemoths have become institutions of governance, complete with generalized rules and bureaucratic features and enforcement. They have struggled to figure out how to police content at the scale to which they have grown often defensive their business model involves acquiring user content and marketing what they learn about users to third party advertisers their content policies and their content policing are nearly impossible to disentangle from their economic interests um i'm not quite sure what's going on here i think he's just trying to argue that people are misstating what freedom of speech is because of social media um Those economic interests combined with a general lack of transparency make for a less than ideal situation when it comes to platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, and the like. These platforms have taken on government roles, but without governmental oversight. Many games similarly function as platforms, albeit smaller ones games should absolutely moderate their communities so as to prevent bad seeds from taking root and choking the life out of the player bases. But there really needs to be a less opaque and perhaps more standardized process in place for doing so. Perhaps by demanding such a thing, El Ansari is just ahead of his time, but more likely he's just incredibly bad at writing lawsuits, understanding the law and picking his battles. So that's the article that was written here by Nathan Grayson. So uh, I don't really agree with that at the end. I don't believe that. Yes. I mean, I guess I agree with a standardized process, but when you standardize something uh, often with you, do that's why we're running into so many issues with Twitch and YouTube is because not every situation is white, you know, black and white. Sometimes you've got situations where this is different from that, um, where you need to have a person look at the situation and understand what's actually happening. When you make a standardized process, oftentimes you automate that standardized process. And once you automate it, then that's when you have all these issues. So no, and, and then what's funny though is since uh, in the last year there's been 10 different lawsuits, the, the person seems to be Ellen sorry just kind of seems to be, um, I don't know, just like a, almost like a troll litigant where he's just he's just like, you know what? Oh Tinder made me mad, I'm gonna sue him. This coming made me mad, I'm gonna sue him. And he just kind of does that. Um, so you know, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about that, except that I don't agree with Nathan Grayson saying that you know perhaps by Ellen' sorry doing this, he's ahead of his time. Uh, I just really think, and I do agree at the end that he's bad at writing lawsuits and understanding the law, but I think it's more that, I think it's more that game companies have to create a good environment for all players. The needs of the many prevail over the needs of the few. So if he was being hostile, I think he should be lucky that all he got was muted (laughs) You know, if it was that bad, wouldn't they have just banned him or banned his account or something? So, I mean, I guess it's glad they didn't, but it was also a streamer. So I don't know when they say he's a streamer. I don't know. I don't know how many subs he has. Let me take a quick look here and just see if I can see anything. Oh no, this is the actual lawsuit, but, um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if he's like a big deal and that's why he's thrown a fit. You see that a lot sometimes with, you know, influencers and they go to a restaurant and they don't get anything for free. So then they trash the place and they talk about how bad it was and that they didn't, they should have known I was an influencer. But it kind of feels like here, like you should have known I was a streamer. You shouldn't treat me this way. Cause I'm a streamer and I'm promoting your product. It's like, yeah, but if you're promoting your product, if you're promoting their product in negative light, you're not, you're not really helping. So, um, but you know, I don't know. I think, I think that a permanent, permanent ban, uh, or a permanent, permanent mute is weird. I think that, that if, if it was that egregious where you wouldn't let them communicate anymore, just ban the account. You know, that seems to make more sense to me because in the TOS for the account, it's a lot easier to say things like we can anytime we want ban your account. If we deem your behavior offensive, you know, and again, not free speech violation. So <laughs> period. <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's see, this is gonna be a little bit of fun. So I want to talk about the most anticipated games I have of 2020. So, uh, 2020 is going to end up being pretty darn good and not just because we have a new systems coming out, PlayStation five and Xbox series X, We've got some incredible games coming out. So my most anticipated ones. So I'm going to kind of do this in a list order. I'll talk a little bit about them. And these aren't in chronological order. Unfortunately, these are just because there's all this stuff getting delayed anyway, but just games that have caught my attention. So the first one, probably my most anticipated game of the year is Cyberpunk 2077, uh, made by the studio, the Witcher studio made by CD Projekt Red. I love the quality of their product and I love Cyberpunk as an aesthetic So this game just speaks to me. It is what I've been waiting for for a very, very long time, I think. And an open world Skyrim type game, but with cyberpunk and futuristic. So almost like uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution meets Skyrim, you know, but even even better than that. Um, And then you've got Doom Eternal. I I didn't I wasn't really a big fan of the Doom 2016 reboot, but Eternal looks pretty good. And they're adding melee weapons. And I don't know, it, it could be cool it's coming out at a good time when there's not really anything else coming out. So that's good. Uh, Last of Us part two, I've been waiting for the sequel to Last of Us forever. I don't even know how long, but I've been waiting a long time. And Last of Us one hit me so hard. And I absolutely love that game that I just I'm I'm excited for a second one, mostly just for the story. Like I don't even really care about the gameplay that much. I love the world. I love the characters. And I want to see I want to see more. Uh, and then we have, the, I am not super hyped for this, but like, I want, I'm curious to see how it turns out, but there's the Marvel Avengers game coming out this year where they made all the characters look different. Like they made them look realistic, but not the same realistic that we've seen in the movies. So there's this weird kind of, um, what do I want to say? There's this weird sort of, uh, um, uncanny Valley thing going on where you see a guy that's like Captain America, but he's not Captain America. And then it sounds like, you know, it's Troy Baker or whatever. And you're like. Okay, you know, hopefully it's good. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a huge Halo guy, but new Halo is always exciting. Halo Infinite's coming. Um, probably my second most anticipated game of the year: Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, that's going to be incredible. Uh, another Sony exclusive: Ghost of Tsushima. That's made by Sucker Punch. That's the team that did uh, Infamous most recently. Except this is like a samurai. And there's been so many good like samurai like Japanese historical games lately. It's just all oh, this has all been good. Um, we've got animal, a new animal crossing coming out, which I'm, I'm, I'm excited for. I haven't really enjoyed an animal crossing since the GameCube one though. And I know people think that's crazy if you love all the animal crossing games, but like, I, I really want to go to that. And then the fact that it's like a little bit of survival elements being on an island building stuff, I think it be pretty cool. So animal crossings on there in April, Resident Evil three is coming out. The remake of Resident Evil three, watch the story trailer on that. That looks incredible. Uh, if you're into VR, there's that Half-Life Alex game that's coming out. I, I'm intrigued to try it, but I, it, I, I'm with VR. I'm hit and miss. Like I don't like to be moving around a lot in VR. Like I'm typically more of a stationary, look around sort of game or on rail shooter kind of guy. Um, I'm also really excited for Neo Two. So I played Neo One almost to completion. I never ended up finishing it, and when I went back to it, I was so lost where I was. I would have had to start over, and I did not want to start over. Um, but i want to see if they can take all of the right pieces to make it like a true perfect kind of sequel cuz neo 1 was pretty good but it had some issues so hopefully they can kind of work that out that was a very much like a dark souls or demon souls like but made by team ninja who does ninja gaiden so imagine like ninja gaiden mixed with dark souls and that's kind of what you got there um and then wasteland 3 I'm pretty excited for Minecraft Dungeons. I'm I'm curious about that's that's the new Minecraft game. That's like Diablo. It's a t- it's a top down isometric view, and you have ran- like it's like a loot loot hack and slash hack and slash looter, and it's Minecraft though, so it's voxel, and so it's it's weird. It could be cool. Um, uh, Trials of Mana. That's what I'm looking forward to here in 2020. Trials of Mana is uh, is just like the next of the Mana series, but I don't really know. Well, actually, hold on. Is Trials of Mana, like, a remake of Seiko Nensetsu 3? I don't even know what this is, actually. Let me, you know, I'm going to click on this in real time. You know me, we doing it. Yeah, Trials of Mana is... Yeah, it's Seiko Nensetsu 3, but it's, like, remade, and it's going to look totally different and have... Um, Like, it's completely redone with 3D graphics and stuff like that. Which is fine. I mean, I hope it's good. I, I mean, Seiko Nensetsu 3 is good, so... I mean, all we really have to, all they really have to do is, not not screw it up, and it'll be fine. Um, then there's still the Iron Man VR game. I do want to try that. Uh, no More Heroes three. I love No More Heroes one and two. Those were were real, uh, really surprisingly well done back in the day. Um, Empire of Sin. That is the new uh, Romero games uh, game that they've been working on. It's kind of like a tactical, but it takes place. I think in like the twenties or thirties, Chicago and New York, gets this kind of gangster style. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Um, I'm actually wearing my Romero Games shirt right now. Um, then there's the Predator Hunting Grounds game. That's the one that's similar to like Friday the Thirteenth or or uh, Dead by Daylight, except it's someone's the predator and then the other people are hunting the predator. So it could be it could be cool. Could be cool. Uh, so there's that um, System Shock, the remake of that's coming out this year. There's a new Oddworld Soulstorm coming out dreams is coming out. Now this is a PS4 exclusive where you kind of create whatever you want in it. And I'm not so much excited to create something myself. I'm excited to play what other people have created. I mean, there's people making just bonkers things in, in dreams. And, um, arguably it's, it's a weird platform to spend a lot of time creatively, you know, creatively making something in, but I still think it's cool. Um, then, uh, let's see what we have here. And then Streets of Rage Four is probably the last one, kind of indie style that I'm looking forward to. So you know, Sega's uh, getting back on the Streets of Rage train, but it looks kind of like uh, it's like hand drawn uh, instead of you know pixels, I think. And so it's it's a little weird looking, but the soundtrack sounded banging, and I don't know, it could be good. We'll see. It's got that kind of weird, like deviant art art style to it, but I don't know. You know, you can't you can't crap on everything. Sometimes you know you gotta you gotta at least let it come out and try it out. And I'm sure there's a slew of indie games that I don't even know about yet. They're going to come out this year and really impress me. But those were kind of my, uh, kind of my games of the year that I'm looking forward to dying light Two. I almost forgot about that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, the sequel to Ori and uh, Ori and the blind force called Ori and the will of the wisps. Is That those? will of the will of the wisps. Yep. So that's coming out. Psychonauts 2, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I am curious about that game called Bleeding Edge. Bleeding Edge is made by um, the studio that did uh, uh, Senua's Sacrifice, Hellblade, and then they did um, Enslaved, and they did uh, Heavenly Sword, uh, Ninja Theory, and they did DMC. Like I've always liked almost all the games they've done. However, Bleeding Edge is like a multiplayer, four-player game. So I'm curious how that ends up. It's like, it's like an online kind of like almost like an overwatch type, like a competitive shooter action game. Very curious to see how that ends up being. And then this journey to the savage planet, Jordan and I were talking a little bit about this too. And it looks interesting. I mean, it's it could be cool, but there's a lot of stuff coming out. So keep, you know, keep an eye out, keep your ear to the ground. See how it's all going. That, that skull and bones game is coming out. That's the Ubisoft game where it's all like pirate ship stuff. They showed a couple years ago and it is really awesome looking like sea battles going on. But again, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's the problem with a lot of these games. You, get, you can't hype too much. You hype too much, you end up disappointed. So don't hype too much. It's never a good thing. Um, but with that being said, I have my game of the week picked out. And I have my pickup pile of the week. And then we're going to bounce out of here. And we'll get everyone going on. And we'll talk to you next week. But to begin, my game of the week. We're sticking with PS1. Now, this is a, this is a weird one. This, this game is called Eternal Eyes. And it is a tactical style RPG. Nothing too crazy, nothing too special. But if I remember correctly, this game came out... It was published by Crave, which tells you something. As an RPG, I should say. And it came out... And I want to say this came out at a budget title for 20 bucks. And, you know, back in that day, like, it was a PS1 game. All new games were 50 bucks for the most part. If a game wasn't $50, bucks, you are like, well, what's wrong with it? <laughs> like, what, what's wrong with this game? Why is it only 20 bucks? But they did that a lot. And there was even a series of games that came out brand new at $10. Like, um it was, was it Spec Ops? Not Spec Ops. Maybe it was Spec Ops. I forget the name of it, but there's like a PS1 series and then they did uh, like Martian Gothic was one of them. And and like they did these games where like $10, like $10 hollers, we'll call them, you know, and just like, hey, here's a $10 game brand new. Just buy it. It's only 10 bucks. Who who are you trying to impress? And so Eternalize though was a really cute, you know, anime styled, isometric view, tactical based uh, RPG. It was really good. It was really fun. So, if you like Japanese RPGs, Eternal Eyes on PS1, check it out. It's pretty cool. I got to play through it again, like most of my PS1 games. I just, I don't know. It's just so hard to sit down and put 30 to 60 hours into an RPG now, especially an old one when I got like all these new games coming out I want to play. But, and then of course I say that and I end up playing, you know, I got some friends who started playing Division 2. So I started playing that and I started playing Darksiders Genesis. I'm like, okay, that's not bad either, but my goodness. So then you start to play that and like, well, I don't have time for anything now. Ah, you know. Uh, to, to be a retro and current gamer is quite difficult because you constantly are, have way too much stuff to play. And I feel like maybe one day I'll be retired and I'll do all day is sit around and play video games. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but if it does, I'm prepared and I'm ready for it. So (laughs) when it happens, I'm ready. Um, all right. With that said, then I've got my pickup pile of the week. So I've got some PS1 games, some NES, a Super Nintendo, and a Game Boy Advance game. So first up, the PS1. I picked up a copy of a game called One Piece Mansion. Now, I don't know a lot about this game, except that it's not the One Piece anime that you're thinking of. It's a Capcom game where it's almost like it's a puzzle game, and you've got an apartment or a mansion, and you have to keep everyone happy, and you have to like move things around, and it's... I don't know, here's, here's a description on the back. It's not easy being the landlord of the One Piece Mansion. In this wacky puzzle game, it's your job to make sure life runs smoothly. Build up your mansion as high as you can, raise the rent, and collect more money. But it's also up to you to keep everybody happy, 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 or else they'll move out and skip on their rent. Can a sumo wrestler, newlywed couple, cat lady, student, and more really get along? It's going to take some serious skill to keep the peace and make sure life at the One Piece Mansion remains stress-free. Sounds awesome. And I like the art on it, too. It's this really cool kind of cell shaded look. Then I picked up, and this game I'm sure is not good. But you don't always pick up games that are good. Sometimes you pick up games that have some sort of emotional attachment to you. So I picked up a copy of NBA Extreme for PS1. Uh, this is when NBA, or NBA Jam Extreme. So NBA Jam, like, well, here's right in the back, which I find really interesting. Because they put, they put a quote from Game Players Magazine on here. And the first line is, the stale old look of earlier jams is no more. <laughs> Did anyone think NBA Jam looked bad before? I don't think so. Anyway, this one focused more on like it looks like it's still two on two basketball, but it was, um, but it was up to four players. Obviously, it had a, it was all 3D engines, so they didn't do the 2D anymore. But most importantly, and this is why I bought it, the man on the cover dunking over Hakeem Olajuwon, my boy Sean Kemp. Now Sean Kemp if you don't remember, was a pretty big deal in nineties basketball, pretty big deal. Um, he was on the supersonics, which don't exist anymore. <laughs> and uh, he was my favorite basketball player at the time. I wore number 40. When I played basketball in high school, I had a Sean Kemp Jersey in my closet. And because we didn't have a lot of money growing up, I had a pair of Sean Kemp's, not a pair of Michael Jordan's because I couldn't afford Jordan's, but I could afford Kemp's. And so it was just, it, it tied to my childhood. So I saw that and I'm like, man, we got, we got Sean Kemp on the cover of a basketball game. I'm buying that. And and so I did. Shocker. Shocker. Greg put some in his collection. That's weird. Um, next up was the game Wipeout for PS1. Now, I've, I own a copy of Wipeout already in the long box, the tall box. However, we had a copy of Wipeout come in that's in the Jewel case. And it's not the Greatest Hits version. So this is actually a really rare variant to this. When the first versions of PS1 games were coming out in long boxes or tall boxes, however you want to call them. And so then they would when they switched all the PlayStation one games to start coming out in CD cases or jewel cases, most of the games would come out in that were already out in long boxes would come out in jewel cases as greatest hits. Well, sometimes they would come out with one print run of a black label and then they went to greatest hits. Uh, you can see that in the original twisted metal. You can see it in the game D for PS one, which I still need that in the jewel case. And then Wipeout is one of them also. So this variant's closer to 30 or $40 um, compared to the long box, which is like 10 or 12, um, but I love the look of jewel cases on my bookcase and I love Wipeout. So I was like, you know what, let's put it in there. Uh, last, uh, PS1 game I picked up was a game called Incredible Crisis. Now I've always wanted to play this and I never have. So I finally picked it up and here's the, here's the scenario. It, uh, it has 24 mini games, music by Tokyo Ska Paradise Orchestra the quotes from antagonist.com for AOL is, quote, one of the funniest things you'll ever put in your PlayStation. And GameFan said it's the wackiest, most intriguingly fun PlayStation game of the year. Uh, so here's the here's the description. The severe fun of Incredible Crisis is all about maintaining your sanity as you help Taneo's family get home in time for Grandma's birthday. It's a happy day and the worst day of their life as they endure hundreds of hilarious and cardiac arrest-inducing dilemmas. You'll laugh, cry, freak out, and perhaps soil your shorts while your mental and physical reflexes are put to the test. The controls are simple, but thumb and forefinger injury is still at risk. Be warned, the game is severely fun and may cause obsessive-compulsive behavior, if not nervous disorders, and or involuntary twitches. (laughs) It just sounds wild as hell. Um, I got to bust out my PS3 and start playing some of my PS1 games and streaming them. Um, so that's it for the PS1 games for Game Boy Advance. I actually got a real, we had a really mint box copy of the original Castlevania on Game Boy Advance. So this is just a remake of the NES Castlevania. They had the, um, Game Boy Advance had a series called classic NES series and, uh, they did Castlevania, Excitebike, Zelda one and two, Mario brothers one. And so Castlevania came in and I collect all my Game Boy Advance stuff mint in box and this was mint in box and it's Castlevania. So we did it. We bought it. Uh, Now this one, I don't necessarily love this game so much, but again, it brought back some great childhood memories for me. But I picked up a copy of the incredible Crash Test Dummies on Super Nintendo. Again, like a dead mint box comes in for this. It's got the manual. It's got the tray. Everything's in their great shape. It's even got the little stickers you could put like on the cars that it came with. Um, And so Crash Dummies is a platformer, side-scrolling platformer, nothing too crazy. You jump over obstacles, you jump on enemies, you fight bosses but what's interesting about this game is as you take damage you lose limbs and so even though if you lose one leg then you start hopping on one leg if you lose your other leg you start like bouncing as a torso and you never like you can still do everything you could do if you had full legs but that was like their life meter that's how they determined how much life you had was by how many limbs you had and it's just neat and I was a huge Crash Dummies fan growing up I had like the red car that you'd smash up and the wheels would fly off and the airbag would come out and like I had I was I loved it I absolutely loved Crash Dummies as toys and then I would use my X-Men figures like in drive the car and then crash and so it was more realistic you know as kid as kids do i wasn't doing this as an adult i was a kid it's okay uh and then i picked up two nes games both mint and box also and these came through the store which is pretty rare we don't see a lot of mint and box nes but first up is a copy of spy hunter uh i i love spy hunter it's one of my favorite arcade games and the nes version is is probably the best version you can get on like retro console and so i picked it up I like it. It's very good, but a funny story about spy Hunter. So I think like many people in video game collecting, when they're younger, you go through this phase of, I'm not going to play games anymore. Let's sell it all off. And so growing up, I'd had a Nintendo. Then we got a Sega Genesis. Then I bought myself a PS one. And then I remember in high school, you know, I was, I was chasing the girls and I was playing basketball and I was doing theater. And I was like, you know, I don't have time for video games anymore. I'll just sell final fantasy seven and my original PlayStation to my friend. And I did, and I'm sure he loved it. And I I sometimes wonder where that is. I wonder if he still got it. Probably not. But a few years later, I was at Funko Land in Appleton. And I was like, man, I miss video games. And I saw an NES and I picked up a copy of Spy Hunter and Willow. So what re sparked my game collecting when I finally got back into it, and this was I think this was technically even before I got hired at GameStop or Software, etc. back then. So that's what kind of got me back into video games was the NES Spy Hunter and Willow. So, uh, which Willow I beat last year actually. And then Spy Hunter, um, you know, I've always wanted in my collection. And when I look for that game online, it's very hard to find it in good condition. So I don't know what the deal is with that. I don't know if a lot of copies didn't survive because it was an arcade style game and kids weren't taking care of it. I don't know, but you just never seem to find one in really good condition. Um, and then lastly, the last game I have today, this NES game was, uh, Qbert, I got Qbert for the NES, which again is about as close to an arcade port as you're going to get on a retro system. It's better than the 2600 version, way better than that, way better than the Coleco version. Might as well get it on the Nintendo. And QBert is one of my earlier memories of playing my ColecoVision. So technically the first video game system we ever owned was a ColecoVision. I don't even know how we got it. I was too young, but I know we didn't have a lot of money, so I don't think my parents bought it. We must have got it at a rummage sale or maybe a a friend of a family bought it and gave it to us. I don't know what. I don't know how we got it. I should probably ask my mom that she'd probably know. But one of the games we had was Cubert. We had Cubert, Carnival and Popeye. Those were like the three games we had and I remember just remember we got one cartridge in each of our Easter baskets that year of of all things, you know. And but no boxes or anything, so that's why I feel like we must have gotten it used from someone. And uh if I remember correctly, uh Popeye was my game. I think Cubert was my older brother's game and I want to say Carnival was what my sister got. Um, and my younger brother, Joe, I don't, what, he wasn't born yet. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so Cubert just always had kind of a special place for me. Like as an arcade game, I always thought it was funny and, and hilarious and the box art's really great. It's published by ultra, which is kind of uh, the other wing of Konami that, uh, you know, they had to make ultra games so they could release more games since Nintendo had put a cap on how many games you could release a year and stuff like that. So, um, but just, just a fun time, just a good time. Um, so that is it for my pickup how the week. And that is it for another episode of game talk radio. I know it's a little bit shorter this week, but I appreciate you sticking around as always. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at game trade Greg. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. That'd be great. We're at like 6,500 subs now, you know, we're getting close to that 7,000 mark. And then it's just the March to 10 K just keep plugging away, plugging away. Um, that's youtube.com slash drop rate or just type in drop rate and look for the yellow and gray DR logo Uh, or twitch.tv. If you want to watch some of our live streams or watch our, cause we do a a drop cast every week on Monday night. We actually recorded that last night. We're live on Twitch with that every Monday night, 7 PM. You can watch that at twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Unfortunately, drop rate was taken. So now we're the drop rate on Twitch, regular drop rate on YouTube. And, of course, you're hearing this podcast somehow, but you, I'm on iTunes, I'm on SoundCloud, and, of course, on um, Spotify. So, if uh, any 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 multitude of ways to get your daily, weekly fix of old Greggy here. Thank you so much for listening, as always, though. So I will talk to you again next week. Have a good day. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.